0: listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, from Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about social networks and privacy, and I have this wonderful book that I just have been almost done reading, and it's called I Know Who You Are, and I Saw What You Did, Social Networks and the Death of Privacy by Professor Lori Andrews. And let me, sh- let me just share with you what the New York Post said. It says, I know who you are and I saw what you did. Shows how the way society deals with the online world needs to be rethought as the current methods make every one of us a potential victim. And that's from the New York Post. So it is something that we've talked about many times that we worry about. Everybody's on Facebook, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a little bit more, you know, professional, but... People say things on Facebook and show things on Facebook that have just totally hurt us in many, many ways. So we're going to talk with um, Professor Lori Andrews. Let me tell you about her. Uh, Lori Andrews is a law professor and director of the Institute for Science, Law, and Technology at Illinois Institute of Technology, Chicago, at the Kent College of Law. She's an internationally recognized expert on emerging technologies and her path-breaking litigation about technologies caused the National Law Journal to list her as one of the mo- 100 most influential lawyers in America. Lori's the author of 11 nonfiction books and the author of more than 150 articles on healthcare policy, biotechnology, genetics, and digital technologies. The American Bar... The American Bar Association Journal describes Lori as a lawyer with a literary bent who has the scientific chops to rival any CSI investigator. She also has written three mystery books, and the names are Sequence, The Silent Assassin, and Immunity, with a feminine geneticist and a military lawyer as main characters. In this book that I just told you about, I Know Who You Are and I Saw What You Did, Social Networks and the Death of Privacy, she created a social network constitution, and she explores how you, how what you do on the web can really be used against you and what you can do about it. And she says that unlike Vegas, what happens in Facebook doesn't stay in Facebook. So I want to just... Uh, welcome you, Lori, for coming on and joining us from Chicago. This is just really such a thrill to have you on the show. I'm delighted to be here. So how come you wrote this book, I Know Who You Are, and I Saw What You Did?
0: I saw that our online self was becoming much more important than our offline self. And the same constitutional rights weren't applying on the web that applied on our home. For example, uh, if I have a party in my house with 20 people... Uh, The police can't come in without a warrant. My employer can't come in without an invitation. And yet, police and employers are using things we post on Facebook and other social media against us. Uh, Surprisingly, 75% of employers now require their human resources officials to look at your online profile. And, uh, you know, particularly women have been disadvantaged. They've been turned down for jobs for having a glass of wine in their hand, even though that's perfectly legal.
1: Oh, goodness. So with that, why are people so addicted to the social networks? I think
0: it, it allows us to play many roles. Not only is it replacing the
1: mails and the
0: phone in terms of getting in touch with people, but it allows you to be a journalist. You can break a, a news story, you know, posting a picture of something that's happened. You can participate in a crowdsourcing project. As a, as a scientist, you know, the, the, there was a, a game that was played through social networks called Fold It, and it actually uh, showed how protein work in the body, and ordinary people were included as authors on the scientific publication. So there are lots of things. And my favorite example about how addictive it was, is was um, I, uh, you know, a, a suspect in a crime. Police had a warrant and were chasing him. He took a hostage went into a motel room and actually posted a picture that said cute hostage, huh? And during the shootout with the police, he managed to post five friend, up, you know, he responded to five friend requests and posted 12 status updates. Mm. Um, the police, you know, shot their way in. The hostage was fine. He got sent to the hospital. But now a novel question was raised. Could they prosecute his friend who posted on his Facebook wall where the SWAT team members were, you know,
1: gunner in the bushes. Oh, my gosh, yeah, like co-conspirators.
0: Yeah, so it shows how incredibly addicted we are to uh, social networks. Uh, You know, it turns out that people now spend more time on social media than they do on email, and they may not realize where their data goes.
1: You know, it's... I, I have a Facebook account, and I'm usually really careful to just put up stuff about the show and very benign things and just, you know, welcome friends. I don't put up real personal pictures, but um, when my when my dog was dying, I put up a bunch of pictures of him, and I had so many people from my past, from high school, from au pairs that I had take care of my kids that, that are in Sweden and Denmark, and everybody was giving me such support and love, it that was just so comforting to me. And, you know, that was something really beautiful that was going on. Although, you know, I, I was kind of getting addicted by that. Do you know what I mean? And, and that was really strange, even though it was really wonderful. I kept thinking, what can be done with this? I was trying, you know, I was just taking pictures of the dog, you know, <laughs> And um, Well, here are some things that could be yeah. done.
0: Maybe if you took a picture of the dog and you had an expensive piece of art in the background in your living room, most people don't realize that their smartphone photos have digital tags on them. Right. And so some robberies have occurred because, you know, a young woman posts a picture of her new engagement ring. She's really excited. Her friends right. comment on it. Yeah. But you've, you've given a digital address to a thief to come to the house.
1: Yeah, I, I did everything outside um, in the parks because that's where I was taking them to the beach or to the park. That's kind of where I took them because I thought those were good pictures. So there wasn't anything really um, at my house. But I do, I do get it that other people do that kind of stuff. And it's understandable. So, yeah, but I, I also, and here I am, one who has, you know, at least a higher consciousness about privacy. And I even got caught into that is what I'm trying to say. I think it... There's so many privacy professionals that are on Facebook that are up, you know, uploading. I'm here now or I'm here now. So I think it's very subtle. I mean, it, you know how, how it can happen to you without you even realizing it is right. what I was trying to say.
0: Absolutely, and you may want people to come to your book signing someplace, um, and and so you post that on Facebook. But
1: right, right. then
0: it turns out that. The whole robbery ring in New Hampshire was able to rob 50 houses by just looking to see who posted the term vacation
1: Mm. on their
0: Facebook page. Right. So, um, you know, I think that some things you may do, uh, you you don't really expect that they'll later cause a problem for you. Right. Um, In one case, a woman was injured in her workplace and needed several spinal surgeries, had pins put in her neck. But when she sued on the basis of that injury, the judge said since there was a smiling photo of her on Facebook, she couldn't have been that injured. The judge didn't even ask if that photo was from before the accident, uh, and why shouldn't people be able to uh, show a stiff upper lip on the web? And so we all know not to put up drunken hot tub photos, but you wouldn't imagine that a smiling photo of yourself would come back to haunt you in that uh, dramatic way.
1: Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, you could smile through your tears, right? Or smile through the pain. That is so crazy. That happens a lot
0: in divorce cases where one of the spouses is disabled and courts have differed in how they deal with it. So, the situation is couple divorce, one spouse is disabled, the question is whether the other spouse owes some sort of support to the disabled spouse. Well, some of the disabled people have posted on Match.com or something that they enjoy uh, kayaking or things like that, that they don't actually do, but they don't want to say, hey, I never get out of the house, and so they want to have online conversations with people. And in uh, some states, that evidence has been used to cut the disabled spouse out of any uh,
1: support.
0: In others, Judges have said, listen, people are entitled to have a little puffery on the web.
1: Mm, it just seems so unfair because, you know, I mean, they that can destroy their veracity in, in court. Say, oh, you said you enjoy kayaking, but now you're saying you're disabled and you can't work. So which one is it? You're a liar. You know, so the judge doesn't believe them either way. It's, it's horrible.
0: So, Absolutely. This has been used to destroy the credibility of people. So... If a man has ever tweeted that he didn't want children and later is in a divorce case where he's trying to get joint custody of the children, that has been used against uh, the men. And also in divorce cases, if a woman's ever posted a picture, a sexy picture of herself, uh, there have been instances where judges have used a sexy photo as the grounds to take away the child without even investigating how the child is doing. And so, in some ways, our digital doppelgangers are being used more than actual evidence about how we behave in our lives.
1: Exactly. You know, in your book, you say that Facebook is like a nation. Tell us why you say that.
0: Facebook now has over a billion members. And in population, that makes it the third-largest nation in the world after China and India. But it also behaves like a nation. It has relationships with other countries. It has rules governing disputes. It has its own currency and so forth. And yet, what are its um, governing principles? It doesn't have a constitution. And it keeps changing the rules. Initially, when you joined Facebook, the terms of service said, We will only give information to the people that you designate. Everything else is completely private. And then it turned to a system where more and more became public. So in 2009, it made a decision to make your friends and their names public. What happened was there were American citizens who were friends with people in Tehran or had family members there, and yet the American citizens were critical of the Iranian government. Their friends and their names in Tehran became public, and the government in Iran uh, actually jailed those people, they were beat up, and so forth. So even something simple about your friends, when it's disclosed against your will, uh, can have dramatic results. So I think we should hold social networks to a social network constitution, because right now, various rights privacy, freedom of expression are being harmed because of the way information that you post on Facebook and MySpace and even LinkedIn can be held against you.
1: And, you know, I want to kind of go to that issue, even though there's lots of other questions I want to ask about that. I want to make sure that we talk about what you believe is kind of the solution, because we're not going to be able to put everything back in Pandora's box, right? People are using social networks. They, they love it. They're going to keep using it. So, and, and we see that the social networks are keep changing their privacy policies or adding these, these new uh, fandangled things that you don't even know what they are and you don't know what the ramifications are. So let's talk about what should be in that social network constitution.
0: I think there should be freedom of expression and to make sure that's possible. We need a right to privacy where employers, uh, law enforcement, and so forth can't get access to our Facebook pages to use that information against us, except in you know, really dramatic circumstances. So they would need a warrant. Um, you mentioned earlier people check in on Facebook all the time or on Foursquare. Here's where I am. And yet that location information can have dramatic consequences. And in the Supreme Court case, that dealt with GPS technologies. Justice Sotomayor pointed out how much you can learn about a person from their location. You can find out whether they're uh, meeting with a rival of their current boss, whether they are at an AIDS clinic, an abortion clinic, whether they uh, go to a synagogue or a mosque or a church. So even simple things like who our friends are, what our location is, and it can be used against us. So I really think it should be protected. Another thing we need are clear rules about jurors' use of social media because uh, it's turning out that we're losing our right to a fair trial because jurors are going on to the MySpace and Facebook pages of witnesses and uh, determining credibility or, in one case, one criminal case, a juror actually posted the facts of the case and asked her friends to vote up or down. Mm. And so it goes against the general principle that things from outside the courtroom shouldn't be influencing the decision of jurors. Jurors do things like go to a Google map of the crime scene and they'll say, oh, I see, there was a light in that alley. The eyewitness testimony must be credible. And there's not a chance for the attorney for the other side to say things like, oh, it was raining that night or the light had been shot out and the eyewitness really couldn't see. So in every aspect of our lives, from determining child custody to seeing who gets a fair trial to being able to freely express ourselves about our workplace, we need more protection for our social media selves.
1: Exactly. So you've got, I love this constitution, the social network constitution. You've got um, the right to connect. That's one of your first ones. And uh, then you have the right to free speech and freedom of expression, and um, that's that one is great too. Now, what what are the concerns with that? With that, uh, in terms of the right to free speech and freedom of expression. Now, that's what we have in our constitution, right? But how how is that impacting? Um, right now people feel that they can say anything that they want to say, right? They, don't, they just don't know the ramifications of it.
0: Right, and so job applicants they right. find that something they've said is used against them. Or right now, life insurers are, are, are planning to use social network information instead of urine tests and blood tests to determine whether you warrant life insurance. And these are the things that they say will be used against you, whether you're an avid reader, whether you eat junk food, and whether you commute to work will be used as factors in denying you uh, life insurance. And so, you know, think about the fact that 4 million Americans on their Facebook page like a certain health organization, the American Cancer Society or the American Diabetes Association. And you may like it because you have a friend who had that disease or because you participate in a run or some other activity sponsored by that organization. But potential employers and life insurers can look at that and say, oh, we don't want to deal with that person because we think they have that illness. So in so many ways, judgments are being made against us. I think the biggest issue is we need more of a right to control our image. Data aggregators actually um, use information from social networks and from other places we go on the web To piece together profiles of us, one data aggregator named Axion Mm -hmm. says it has 90, for 96% of Americans, it has 1,500 pieces of information, everything from your credit score uh, to what medications you're on. And that can be used in a beneficial way uh, to give you coupons for money off at a store that you shop at, but it can also be used to disadvantage you by when you go to a credit card site, by offering you a less good credit card,
1: and, and, and yeah, and then if they have errors, which we know that they do, we know for example the credit bureaus where we are entitled to see what's on there. We know that thirty percent of the credit reports have errors of credit reports, and we don't even have an, you know, access to Axiom's database on us, right? So right, we can't so- even fix it. And, you know, for me, someone who deals with identity theft victims all the time, I mean, I have this one case going on right now that is just horrible. I want to get him on 48 Hours. I've had him on my show. I'd love to get him on Dateline. I'd love to get him on 60 Minutes because he is a victim of criminal identity theft and has been out of work since 2010. And we, you know, we have a lawsuit going on. But basically, we can't even get that background check corrected and it's it's another person <laughs> so it's it you're right i mean when you've got these huge data brokers that have no accountability that's been something i've been talking about and trying to testify about for years is to get some legislation that we have a right to see and correct all those data bases that are collected by these data brokers but we don't have that right now Yeah, in Europe, people
0: do have the right to know what information is being collected about them by companies. They have a right to free copies of it, and they do have a right to uh, correct things. There are also these things that border on scams on the Internet. There's a website called potentialprostitutes.com, and Hmm. anybody can, you know, troll and take your lovely picture off your Facebook page and put you on that website. And so it looks like you are a potential prostitute, and and you are charged money uh, for getting your photo removed. Yes. And and so, you know, simple things like your, your photo can be used against you depending on where it's placed and for what reason. And so I think there are several things we need to do. We need to make sure that the current system, which says that people have a right to follow us, track us on the web, and collect all this data, should be stopped, and we need an a do not track law, like the do not call law. We need an opt-in system. I want to see it where if I want to get a coupon from Macy's, I have to affirmatively go to a website that maybe lists out all the, you know, coupons and things. It, it's not that data's collected against my, you know, behind my back, against me, and then used. Um, and as you say, we need a right to be able to see and, and correct what's going on there. Um, there's another Lori Andrews who's a jazz harpist in L.A., and you know she shouldn't be disadvantaged if i'm late paying a credit card bill but right yeah. now that can happen
1: and we are speaking today with professor lori andrews who is the the author of this wonderful and a little bit scary new book called i know who you are and i saw what you did social networks and the death of privacy lori and you know as i read this wonderful idea for your social network constitution i'm wondering how can this be enforced? For example, um, when we're talking about that employers or uh, insurers should not have the right to just go in and make judgments by looking at your, your social networking site. I mean, I'm thinking about how people like we also have a law that you you know, you can't be denied a job. Um, based on a credit report or something um, without you know you know without you being told so that you have a right to correct it or a background check in California you can get a copy of your background check um, if you're denied uh, an employment or something like that but what happens is a lot of times the the employer will tell you oh well we didn't choose you because we had a better candidate so In these issues, you know, how are you going to prove that the employer would have, you know, hired you but for what they saw on Facebook? I think the enforcement is really tough.
0: With any of these issues, like being discriminated against because of a disability or because of a credit, um, you know, a false credit report or, or because of your Facebook page, it is really, really tough. But we're at least seeing some initial steps where... A variety of states are passing laws saying that your employer can't ask for your social network password to get in the private side. So, I mean, we can use some barriers, privacy barriers on the pages uh, themselves and protect that. And I think that if you make it the industry standard that, uh, you know, if you can show that the employer went on someone's website and then decided against that candidate because of a social network profile, I would... You know, shift the burden of proof for an employer then to have to prove it was because the other person had former years of education or, or something like that. It's a very, very tough situation. But yeah. right now, the, top, the the crazy part is that all these questions employers can't ask me in person. Am I, you know, planning to get pregnant? Do I have a, a sick child in the family? They might be able to get because I've posted something on my Facebook page that says, exactly. oh, just got married. You know, can't we to have a baby, right. that, that sort of thing. And other countries are actually making it a crime for employers to do Google searches about potential employees. Finland mm. makes that a crime because what happened was an employer did a Google search, found out that the applicant had attended a mental health conference and didn't hire him. It turned out the the applicant had gone there as a patient's advocate, so perfectly reasonable explanation. And so that triggered, triggered the law. Right now, the, the push is for employers to use it. If we brought one or two really dramatic test cases, I think we could at least change the industry standard where far fewer would take this approach.
1: Yeah, I think what has to happen is you have to have something like what happened, you know, when there is a victim and then this brings it to the light for the legislature or it brings it to the light for the courts that this has happened. And it's unfortunate that we have to have victims go through this to make the changes in the law, but the technology is light years ahead of what we've got in terms of law protections, correct?
0: Absolutely. And we're as you point out, being so concerned as you are about identity theft, there are all sorts of new ways to steal someone's identity because of social networks. It turned out in one city in Florida, uh, the police thought the crime rate was down because there's far less street crime. But it turned out that what criminals had turned to was looking at um, Facebook pages and filing false um, uh, IRS uh, Oh, for you know, refunds. refunds. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and And in fact, one young man um, moved into apartment building, friended everybody in the apartment building, and then was able to reset the codes to their bank account because mm-hmm. what are the questions that they ask you? Things like, what's your pet's name? Right. What's your mother's maiden name? And if your mother's on your Facebook page or picture with her maiden name, you can actually get enough information to change people's bank passwords and, and clean them out.
1: Exactly. And you know what? If you put up on on Facebook your entire birth date with your year and where you were born, there's an algorithm that you can figure out their social security number. And the social security number is the key to the kingdom of identity theft for getting credit and for getting loans and for government benefits. So you're you're right. I mean, again, just just giving all that information is enough to uh, to really Steal an identity and just, um, of course, then trying to clean that up with all the databases. It it becomes a a big, you know, bee's nest. You just can't do it. Now, You had talked about the right to control image. And and I, I actually had a woman who told me that her face was used on a German on a German website on somebody else's body as a prostitute as well. And she couldn't get it down. It would seem to me that there are a lot, I've had this happen many times, where the websites don't want to take this information down. So what kind of law could we have that would actually, you know, maybe we need some kind of laws or statute that say that when you're notified and you're given enough information that you must take that information down. Is that
0: feasible? Yeah. If if the New York Times called a woman a potential prostitute who was not, they could be sued. But the problem is, a little known federal law, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which says that websites don't need to be, can't be sued in the same way publishers were.
1: Right. And, and
0: it made sense for Internet service providers. I mean, why should you be able to sue AOL or, or Gmail if I say something bad about you in a private email to someone else, which I never would because you're so right. fabulous? <laughs> but that's a, that's a wild hypothetical. You know, you don't want to to take down all of AOL or all of Facebook because of something one person said to another. But now there are websites that only exist to defame people, and it's not like the internet service providers, and I think we need to change the law so you can go after them and their websites that you know exist only to allow ex-boyfriends to put up nude pictures of their girlfriends or websites to make it appear that someone's a prostitute so that you actually have a whole business model where they have to send you money to get their
1: pictures taken down. It's crazy. Well, Lori, we are out of time, so I just wanted to have you say the name of your book, and the website, and we would love to have you back again because you're just filled with wonderful, wonderful wisdom. Thank you. Thank you.
0: My book is I Know Who You Are, and I Saw What You Did, Social Networks and the Death of Privacy, and people can vote on the Constitution at my website, socialnetworkconstitution.com.
1: Well, thank you so much, Lori, and we hope to talk to you again. Thanks. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. In the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. at Privacy Piracy and visit our website, KUCI.org slash Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program
0: do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.